0: It's really since the beginning of the year, um, he's really worked me over about this idea of process. And I'll just title this process, The Pathway to Promise, because um, what, what is so amazing to me is that in God's process, um, while it can be very, it can be somewhat hurtful uh, at times, not that God hurts us, but it, it can be painful sometimes to go through his process. Sometimes we can be disillusioned with the process. Sometimes we, we may not know exactly where we are. In God's process, there's always a promise that he's leading us to. There's always an end game. There's always a destination. And to me, that's, that's worthy of being, being remembered and worthy of being um, kept in our consciousness spiritually. So process the pathway to God's promise. I want to read some text here. We're going to talk a little bit about David Uh, Just an amazing, amazing man in Scripture. So much gleaned from his life. But he was a man that understood God's process, as we'll see. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 10 through 13. 1 Samuel 16, verse 10 says, Again Jesse made seven of his sons to pass before Samuel. And Samuel said unto Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Are here all thy children? And he said... There remaineth yet the youngest, and behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he come hither. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy, withal of a beautiful countenance, and goodly to look to. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. So David is anointed here at this moment, at this point. In verse 13, Samuel takes the horn of oil and anoints him in the midst of his brethren. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So this is his, his God kind of, we could say that's his calling, that's his beginning, that's where God anoints him uh, and sets him up for his destiny. So let's skip now ahead to 2 Samuel chapter 5, and I'll read verses 1 through 5 there. 2 Samuel chapter 5, reading verses 1 through 5. Here is the fulfillment. So I'm giving you the punchline in a way, but stay with me and and, and let's just see where this will take us. Verse 1, so all the elders of Israel came to the king, to Hebron. And King David made a league with him in Hebron before the Lord. And so here's the kind of the public coronation. They anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old. When he began to reign, he reigned 40 years. He reigned 7 years and 6 months in Judah. And 33 years in Israel and Judah combined. So this is... This is um, this is his reign, 40 years. So David is anointed as a young man. At 30 years old, he becomes king and realizes his destiny that God had put in his life. So it's this idea of process. Now, when, when Steve and I were young, we were in the Boy Scouts, and, um, or re- actually the Cub Scouts. My dad was the Boy Scout leader, and so we got to do some things with the Boy Scouts as well. And, and there was this, this uh, monthly, we'd get this magazine each month called Boy's Life, Boy's Life, and it was... Um, it just, you know, it, it had stuff about science, and it had stuff about camping, and it had, um, you know, it had a little comic strip, and just, it, it, was, it was real wholesome, good, uh, good stuff to read. And in the back, they had all these advertisements. You could, you know, you could send off for a, a weightlifting program that would make you look like Mr. Universe in six weeks, so it claimed. And there, you know, you could get skateboarding gear, and you could get camping gear and all this. Well, one of the things you could send off for was a catalog. The name of this catalog, now get this, the name of the catalog was Things You Never Knew Existed and Can't Possibly Live Without. Now think about that a minute. Things You Never Knew Existed and Can't Possibly Live Without. And for a young guy, man, we were just like, wow, what could this be? So we got it, and it had stuff like um, practical jokes, you know, like, you know the old, where you put a little buzzer right here, and when you shake somebody's hand, it it buzzes them, or the, the stick of gum, you know, the old stick of gum trick, you give them the gum and when they take it a it's like a little thing comes out and pops them on the hand you know just stuff like that you know a little lapel flower and you could squeeze it and shoot water at them you know just just gags like this um and so a couple of times on a couple occasions I remember we would save up our money and uh and order something out of this things you never knew evidently we found something that we didn't know existed and couldn't possibly live without so we would order it and um The thing I remember about this is you had to fill out the order form. You had to, in our case, get our mom or dad to write a check, slide all that in the envelope, stamp it, and put it in the mailbox. Then the postman or woman would take it from the mailbox, and off it would go to the order house or to to the warehouse, wherever that was. They would have to fill the order, right, and then mail it back to you. And this whole process took probably about, I'm going to say honestly, about six weeks. I think they guaranteed it within six to eight weeks you'd get your order. And, um, and I remember, so we, we put, it in the, uh, put the order in the mailbox so we knew it wouldn't come that day because that was the day we mailed it. We knew it wouldn't come the second day. you gotta give, you, know, you got to give it a day to get there. Knew it wouldn't come the third day because you know, it's got to come back. But by the fourth or fifth day, we're watching the mailbox, right? We're watching the mailbox to see if it's here, and it seemed like an eternity before six to eight weeks would go, come and go, and our order would come in the mail. And it was that it was just a process that it had to go through, and that seems so foreign nowadays, right? Because now you just you you go to Amazon.com, right? You click. And as soon as that, how many of you like me, when you place that order, you're going and you're tracking it right now. Because you know when they fill it, you know when they ship it, you know when it's in New Jersey, you know when it's in Atlanta, you know when it's in Baton Rouge, you know when it's out for delivery, you know when it's on your street. And you can even, now I've not taken it this far, but I've seen the link where you can sign up and they'll text you. You don't even, you know, you don't even have to manually, you know, go type in the tracking number at USPS, they'll text you. And it shows you how far we've come where we've sped up the process, at least in this area. We we don't really like process. We've we've come to it's, it's something about that time element involved uh, with process. And so we, we like to speed that up. And, uh, and, and, and we don't like that. We don't like that wait time. We want it now. And if, if we want that solution. We want that answer we want our order filled. We want, you know, we want fast food. We want microwave. You know, I don't want to wait. But here's the thing. Being made into the image of God, your calling, your spiritual development, the anointing God's place on your life, the, the gifts and the passions he's given you, those are developed through God's process. And it's not going to happen in one day. It's not going to happen in one week. It's not going to happen in one month. It takes time. It takes God's time to be developed into the person that you and I have been called to be. See, every one of us in this room, all of us, without exception, God has given us specific assignments, I believe. He's given us specific things that only we can do. There, there's assignments He's given me that only I can do, there's things He's given you to do that only you can do, people that only you can reach. And he wants to walk us through a customized process. Each one of us has our own road to walk, our own process to go through. And it's to fully develop us so that we can achieve our best and uh, most full potential. So I'm inviting you today, whatever, if you're going through a rough patch in your life, if it seems like there's a time delay, if it seems like God's got you in a holding pattern, if you're going through something you don't understand, I'm going to invite you today, tonight, just to stop sweating it and just jump headlong into God's process for your life. Just say, God, I know this is part of my process. I know this, you're working something in me and you're taking me somewhere. And I wonder what would happen tonight if we would approach it that way. What could God really do? So it's becoming that person, developing those gifts. Success in that area is directly... Tied to your willingness to let God walk you through his process. And listen, all of us have, all of us have stuff in our life. We all have, you know, situations that seem impossible. We all have discouraging circumstances that come our way. We, there's broken relationships, there's trials, there's, there's just stuff that we all go through. But I believe that before we quit, And before we just give up on God and say, God, this is a surprise to me. I'm sure it's a surprise to you, which FYI, it's not. It's never a surprise to God. Before we give up and quit, I just want to let you know that we have a promise in the word of God. And it simply is this, that he who has begun a good work in you is what? He's faithful to finish it. If he starts something in you and if he starts something in me, he is faithful to bring it to pass, All right? There's a lot of things that happen from beginning to end. We'll talk about that in a minute, but he's going to get you through it. He's obligated to take you through to the end. It is a process through which God is guiding you in order to produce something in you so that he can get the best out of you. It's a process through which God is guiding you in order to produce something in you so that he can get the best out of you. So here's the deal. Process is God's idea, and it takes time. Now, we just need to look in the Word of God to see that God is a God of process. His systematic six-day cycle of creation, his centuries-in-the-making prophetic plan of redemption, when God works, he does so orderly, purposefully, and through a process, always in the Word of God. And there may, be, there may be a number of reasons. In fact, I'm sure there are numbers of reasons why God chooses to do it in this fashion. You know, like I said, we, w- we would rather have it overnight. We would rather come down to the altar and, and say, God, I give my life to you. Perform your will in me and then walk out those doors and just, you know, be everything all at once. But God chooses to process. There's a number of reasons why. But one of them is to develop our character. That's one of the reasons. And I want to hit on this just a minute in passing. God puts us through a process to develop character. Because, see, here's the thing. Your your, your talent can take you to places where your character can't keep you. And we've all seen examples of this. We could go right down the line. We've seen examples where somebody's talent propelled them to places where their character couldn't keep them. So God puts us through things, through stuff, through situation trials to build character um, out of us. And that's, that's really why overnight successes... Don't ever last in the kingdom of God. If you, if you, and, and you're probably thinking, anybody that's been around the kingdom of God very long, you've been in church very long, you're thinking of people right now, man, they just shot to the top. They just, overnight, here they come. They don't last very long. And this is why. Consider the fact that, consider this, a maggot takes six days to develop to a fly. A maggot goes from being a maggot to a fly in six days. But a caterpillar usually emerges from his cocoon as a butterfly. It sometimes takes as long as a year to go through a process of change. So look at your neighbor and ask him, say, you want to be a maggot or you want to be a butterfly? All right. So, so all the maggots, y'all come over here. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. <clears throat> Excuse me. But you know what? Scripture reveals this idea of God's process and God's timing in another way, too. And it's a subtle way. It's, a, it's an implied truth more than an overt truth. Um, and it's in the word of God. And we call it the law of harvest. How many are familiar with the law of the harvest? You've, you've been around Pentecost, you've been around church, you've heard of the law of the harvest. A few of you see. Yeah, it's just this idea that you reap what you sow. And God sets this up, Galatians chapter 6 verse 7. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And we understand this. We intuitively we get that what we plant is what we harvest. If we plant apple seeds, we can expect an apple tree. If we, you know, if we plant um, cucumbers, we expect to harvest cucumbers. We get that. We've been taught that from, from the beginning. But there is this implied truth here in the law of the harvest, and that is is that you reap what you sow. That but but the implication is is that you sow something, right? There is a time span of cultivation before you can realize the harvest. There is a process through which the seed has to go through. Sowing is like starting the journey. We start a journey by sowing. Reaping is the end of the journey, but between the two, there's a whole lot of cultivating that has to go on. There's a whole lot of weeding and watering and feeding. And, and, and just cultivating the soil and the seed and the plant. The Apostle Paul gives us some, some encouragement along this line. He continues in Galatians chapter 6. He says, Let us not be weary in well-doing. Why? For in due season we'll reap if we faint not. In other words, it's coming. There is a payoff but you got to be faithful to the process. The psalmist talks about this. David, Psalm 126, he says, He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again, rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. There's a, go, there, there's a going out, re, uh, weeping, bearing precious seed. There's a time lapse where the process happens, and then there's that coming back with the culmination of the process. And this is just the way God does it in the kingdom. I've lived long enough now to know that there's no way around it. There's no way to shorten it. Um, if I become anything, if I accomplish anything in God's kingdom, it's going to be because of my willingness to go through the process. It occurred to me several years ago now, but, but I, I told you God's been working on me on this for a while, but uh, it occurred to me that any, any man or woman of God that you see, pick your person. Name them, the one that you hold in the highest regard. They're there, and they're that person and that man and that woman for God because of a process that God went. It didn't come cheap, it didn't come easy, it didn't come quick. They went through God's process. Uh, Mike Krzyzewski is the, is the championship coach of, the, of Duke, University of Duke basketball coach. He's won many championships, including the one this past spring. He says, there is no elevator to success. You must take the stairs. One step after the other, that process of climbing higher and higher and higher. There's no quick, quick elevator to get there. So one of the greatest examples in my mind of this process at work, of God's process at work in somebody's life is, is in the life of David. And uh, man, there again, I, I mentioned this. There is so much here about David, but I want, to, I, want to, I want to touch on a few things here about David. So in our text tonight, so David is, is somewhere between 10 and 20 years old. We don't know how old he is uh, when Samuel comes and anoints him as the future king. Bible doesn't say most scholars put him between 10 and 20, so let's split the difference and say he was 15 years old, just for the sake of discussion, young man, teenager, and uh, he finds out that he's going to be the next king over Israel. After God has rejected his brothers, those that were stronger, taller, older, maybe had more um, resume power, more more going for them, more qualifications, God calls David. Um, He's not such a big deal right now. He's on the backside of the desert watching sheep, tending sheep. He's a shepherd. And David, this is like David's life-changing encounter. This is David's altar experience. This is where God just... If, if I could just say he, hit, he hits David upside the head, right? If we could put, put it in those terms where um, uh, he just, David comes face to face with the anointing of God. And he's a changed man. He's a marked man. He'll never be the same. Now he's a man of destiny. And it's interesting to me that in this this high moment, right, imagine just put yourself in that place where you, you have felt so much of the Holy Ghost in that you've just had this moment. Maybe it was at a prayer meeting. Maybe it was an altar. Maybe, maybe pastor came by and just spoke a word, of prophetic word over you or, or some other uh, person just spoke something and God touched you and you knew that God was in your life and you just had this mountaintop experience. Put yourself in that place. What does David do when that moment is over? It's amazing to me. He turns around and he goes back. To the sheep, he goes back to the pasture, back to the flock, goes back to doing, just goes back to life, really. But he doesn't realize that he's also going back to God's school of process. He's going right back to that to that uh, school of process. God's getting ready to school, and watch this. This is amazing. After some period of time, and I'm thinking in my mind it wasn't that long because if you read through First Samuel, there it's after David is anointed of God, after he goes back to the pasture, the next verse it says this. So I don't know what kind of time lapse, but it is kind of next in the narrative, according to the text. The next thing that happens is Saul sends somebody to David and says, "You're needed in the palace." We want you to come play the harp and sing your psalms for Saul. Because see, here's the deal. Saul is, the Bible says the spirit of God departed from him. Saul is tormented by by evil spirits. And the only thing that will uh, soothe his spirit or soothe these evil spirits from tormenting his spirit is David playing his harp and singing worship songs. So they go and grab David and say, you're needed in the palace. The king has called for you. Now, if I'm David and I am just not that David. If I'm David, I'm thinking wow. Oh my goodness. Look at this. The the prophet came up, he anointed me, said I'm going to be the next king of Israel. And here I go to the palace. I see what God's doing here. This is amazing. I'm going to go to the palace. Saul's going to teach me how to be a king. I'm going to learn the ways of, king, of, of kingship. I'm going to learn military strategy. I'm going to learn how to war. I'm going to learn how to battle. I'm going to learn how to be a mighty man in the courts of Saul. God's setting me up, and as soon as Saul kicks the bucket, man, I'm just going to ease right on into the throne. I see how all going to play out. That's what I would be thinking. Let's be honest. I mean, I see how God's got this mapped out. And that is not what happens at all. Before long, Saul's throwing javelins at David. David's running for his life and he spends the next 15 years, let's say, if he's 15 years old, he spends the next 15 years running for his life. He is a, he's a marked man. He's a sought man. There are times when he almost died. There were times when it was crazy. But yet, he's going to be the next king of Israel. And it's not happening like he thought it was. At all. And you and I think we get a word from God. We have a mountaintop experience with God. And we think we know how God's going to play it out. We start seeing things arrange in our life and we say, here we go. This is it. This is how this is going to happen. I see exactly what God's up to. And then when it doesn't happen, guess what we do? What do we do? We quit. We quit. Let's be honest. We quit. We give up. We lose our faith. We lose our hope. We say, well, we start justifying. Maybe I didn't hear from God. Maybe God did. Maybe, uh, you know, maybe that was a mistake. Maybe I didn't really feel what I thought I felt. And so we quit. But I'm going to tell you one of the biggest keys to working through the process that God has for you is hanging on even when you can't see where God has taken you. Even when it seems like nothing's happening. It's not giving up on God when He has you in process. You know, it's interesting to me that the Israelites, when God brought them out of Egypt, He brought them to, he, they were just on the brink of stepping into their promised land of Canaan. And they saw giants in the land and turned around and walked the other way. They only met the giants when they were going forward. They only met the giants when they were about to take the promise. When they turned around and went the other way, there were no giants. They didn't have any resistance when they were retreating. It's only when you move forward, it's only the closer you get to the promise, it's only when God has you oriented in the right direction that you meet the giants, that you meet the resistance, that you come up face-to-face with times where you want to quit. And those are the times where we must fight on, where we must persevere on, where we must keep going. I tried to think of a, a lighthearted, kind of a lighthearted example of a time where I wanted to quit just to kind of share this with you. I wanted it to be kind of spiritual. but I wanted it to be kind of lighthearted, too. And, and I don't know. You be the judge. But, but here's the story. And I don't know that I've ever told this publicly. All right. So get ready. Um, get your notepad out. No, I'm just kidding. It's not that good. But um, back uh, September the 10th of 2001. Now, it's an easy date for me to remember. September the 10th. Of 2001, uh, the day before the the terrorist attacks, I I went uh, to Tioga uh, to to go before the board for my local minister's license. Now, in the United Pentecostal Church, there are three levels of ministry license: local, general ordination, and this was kind of the first step for me, the local license. And there was a there was a little bit of a mix up with the qualifications. And one of the one of the things you have to do to get your local license, you have to preach once a week for six months one sermon a week for six months and i didn't i knew i didn't have that qualification but i thought we had kind of worked around it um, with some other things i had done and so I, i just was ready to get my license well they denied me my license right they told me that i had not met the qualification so therefore i could not get my minister's license and i was devastated because all my buddies that i was up there with got theirs i didn't get mine and i felt like i was pretty qualified Uh, a pretty qualified applicant really and so it hurt my pride it hurt my feelings I wanted to quit like Lord you know what maybe maybe you just like I was saying earlier maybe you didn't call me after all I mean if the district board isn't recognizing my call well then bless God I must not be called hallelujah and so I was pretty bummed out well the next day the terrorist obliterated half of New York City and so I got my eyes off of my own problems and saw a much bigger picture and and, uh, and, and to be quite honest with you, I, I forgot about my misery and my woe, and it kind of kept me from quitting, which is a good thing. Now, having said that, we, we got that corrected. I got the qualification met, and some six months later or so, I was able to get my local license, and we were able to move on. And so I just kept going uh, and, and letting God lead me and do all these things. Well, the reason this is so fresh on my mind is two or three weeks ago, uh, they asked me to speak up in Tioga at senior youth camp in one of the day sessions which was a tremendous honor and it was a tremendous honor to represent all of you and to represent pastor in that in that um, in that area but I couldn't help but think as I was walking up to the platform on Tioga and I really wanted to say something and I didn't but I said hey guys you know what you know 14 years ago you were the ones that told me I couldn't preach and that I wasn't qualified to minister and now here you are you got me up here preaching to a bunch of young people so it's just kind of interesting how all that comes around, but there is a truth hidden in there somewhere, and that is, is that, you know what, we're all faced with times where we want to quit. We're all faced with times where somebody tells us, no, you can't. We're all faced with times where reality is different than what we know God has planted on the inside of us, and those are the times that we cannot quit. We must keep going, because see, those are the moments where God wants to take the t- into a testimony, and he wants to take the trial and and turn it into a triumph. And he wants to do that in our lives if we will stay faithful to the process. So, let me give you three things that David did. We're, I'm, I'm coming in. Give me, give me another 10 minutes or so. I believe we can do this in about 10, maybe 15 minutes at the most. But three things. Let me give you three things to take home, to write down, to type into your notes app on your phone. That David did well. That helped him get Through, or I shouldn't say it that way, that helped him uh, understand God's process and engage God's process to get to his destiny. Number one, point number one, David understood solitude, solitude. David understood the importance of being alone with God, solitude. Now, I'm not talking about loneliness. I'm talking about aloneness, and there's a big difference. David spent countless days and nights and months Watching sheep out in that pasture, and it was there that he learned to be a worshiper. It was there that he learned to become a warrior. It was there that he learned to hear God's voice. It's where God said, "You're not going to learn. Um, you're not going to learn warfare from Saul. You're going to learn it from me. You're not going to learn how to be uh, Israel the man for Israel from Saul. You're going to learn it from me. You're going to learn how to be a man after my own heart." But it's going to take some solitude. And usually, I have found in my life, somewhere in God's process, taking you from point A to point B, God is going to call you to a place alone with Him. There's just something about getting alone, away from the crowd, away from the distractions, where your attention is focused on Him and Him alone. That's when He can really get down to business in developing your life. Every great... Uh, man and woman of God in Scripture spent some time alone with God. Jesus spent time alone, 40 days in fasting in the wilderness. Moses, Paul, Abraham, you can go on and on. They were all called to solitary places with God before they were ever used by God. And you and I are going to be no different in our walk with Him. He will call us to a solitary place. I want to tell you tonight, it is costly. Getting alone with God, getting that solitary place is very costly you'll often be misunderstood you'll often be uh, iso- feel isolated you'll, you'll feel like you're being uh, wrongly judged. It's costly. sometimes it'll cost you a relationship you know sometimes it'll cost you friendship or a family relationship but but God knows what he's doing when He calls us to that place even when nobody else understands. It's a place of consecration it's a place of dedication where you really get to know God and he really gets to know you. It was amazing. It was so interesting to me when these things happen. Um, Sunday, Sunday, um, I walked by. Uh, Brother Kelton happened to be having his class in, in um, this classroom right over here where the college group usually meets. And I just walked by and, and I heard him say, he was talking about, he said, and you need a prayer closet and you need prayer time alone with God and you need to develop a prayer life. And he was giving them an example of somebody that that the way they had developed their time with God and their prayer, literally a prayer closet with God where they went in the closet and shut the door. And he's talking to them about getting, talking to, and it's our junior high group. And just in case you don't know, Brother Kelton and Sister Christy are in charge of leading our junior high kids. So he's teaching them about getting solitary place with God, alone with God, prayer closet with God. And then pastor got up and talked to us about brokenness. And I knew, I had heard Kelton, I knew what he had said and so and, and then pastor got up and said some of the same things, reiterated some of the same things about how we need to find that alone place with God, how we need to get serious about seeking God and put ourselves in a position where we can hear from God and, and seeking God in the altar, and even if it means coming up to the church by ourselves and, and that was kind of the theme, and it was so amazing to me as uh, the altar service unfolded on sunday i don 't know if you noticed, but that junior high group was one of the most impacted by that service Sunday there were some of them were up here that I had never seen really pray in the altar like they prayed that uh, uh, this past Sunday. And so it was so amazing how God kind of orchestrated that seemed to me like for that group. And I went to Brother Kelton afterwards and I, I said, man, it was pretty obvious to me what God was doing. And, and he shook his head. He's like, oh, yeah, man, it, it's, it's amazing how God put that together. And so uh, the point is, is that we all need those times where we just get along with God. Corporate prayer is awesome. We've got to have it. Corporate worship is awesome. We've got to have it. Altar time together, we've got to have it. But you've got to have your time alone with God too. To fully activate everything that he has. Champions don't become champions in the moment on the playing field when they win. They are just recognized there. They are just recognized there. They were champions long ago in their daily disciplines, in their practice, in their um, practice in their motivation, in their skills, in their preparation. We must be in a solitary place with God. So the second point, if David understood solitude, the second thing is he understood stewardship. Solitude and stewardship. The future king of Israel, the man that would subdue nations, the mighty warrior, the man of the sword, so bloody was he that God would not let him build a house for his presence. He He passed that on to Solomon his son. This man that would lead all of Israel, God's man on the throne, he started by leading 600 men in the wilderness. And these were men that were feeble, cowardly, poor, unskilled. Essentially, they were the ones no one wanted. But David was faithful to them. He was fair to them. He did right by them. He led them faithfully. And I believe that's where David learned leadership. Before God could trust him to lead all of Israel, he had to learn how to lead 600 men in the wilderness somewhere. Did you know that God will always test you to see how you handle small assignments before he gives you a big assignment? That's in his word. Jesus talked about it, the parable of the talents. You know, you know the parable of the talents, that the, the guy that had a little and the, the guy that had much He wanted to see how they would handle it, see how they were qualified. And all of it, many of you here, I'm gonna say all of us here tonight, you have grand visions. Pastor's have been preaching, just do it and dream big and go bidding big. And God has put grand vision in your life, but through that, and a lot of you, your vision is for more than what you're doing now. It's bigger than what you're doing now. You you feel like your assignment right now is too small. You think you're just this or just that. I, I just teach a class or I just greet or, or whatever, fill in the blank. And that's by no means underestimating or underscoring those, those roles because those are extremely important. But you want more in your life. You're thinking, man, there's more than this that God's calling me to. And we think it's one of the, the faults of our, of our Christianity, I believe, because it's not biblical. But we think, you know, if we're not front and center, if we're not, you know, where, where everybody's heard us and seen us, that we're not contributing or we're not doing what God's called us to do. And that's not true. It's not true. If we could just understand that the place where God has you serving now, the assignment that he's given you now, if you're faithful with that, if you will walk that through the process, if you will let God develop you in that, it is a test, it is a process, it is a beginning of so much more that he wants to walk you into in your life. And I'll tell you this while we're on this subject. If you're, if you're wanting to be a leader in any capacity, if you're wanting to get into leadership and church leadership, The best place to start, the best place to start leading, the best place to start leadership is to start leading yourself. Start leading yourself. That is, John Maxwell said, self-leadership is the hardest part of leadership. And you spend the most time on self-leadership than you do anything else. And it's true. I've found out that it's true. The vast majority of leadership is self-leadership. So start leading yourself now. And once you get that going, God's going to promote you into so much more. I love what the scripture says in Proverbs chapter three. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him. Why? Because he will direct your path if you're a good steward of the path you're on. First Timothy four, 14 through 16, Paul told Timothy, he said, do not neglect the gift that is in you. Don't neglect it. Be a good steward of it. Be faithful to it. Meditate on it. Give yourself entirely to it. And this version of the scripture says that your progress may be evident to all. In other words, if you're faithful, if you're a good steward, if you hang on to what's been given to you, you're going to make progress. You're going to keep moving. You're going to to take the process one step at a time. So solitude, stewardship. Last one. Last one. I'll bring this in for a landing. Submission. Submission. Submission, solitude, stewardship, and submission. David honored the man of God in his life. Saul was the anointed king of Israel on the throne at the time. And David refused to dishonor Saul in any way, even to the point where David had the opportunity to kill him and would not. Even when Saul finally did die, David rebuked those that celebrated his death. He rebuked those that orchestrated his death and said, touch not God's anointing. And this is a concept that if you're interested in going through God's process to reach your destiny, you absolutely must get a hold of right now and that is God works through our submission to authority. His process in your life is through submission to authority to the man of God in your life. Like like it or not, agree with it or not, it's how the kingdom of God works. Our culture has greatly eroded respect for authority across the board. And to save time, I won't bother to give you any examples. I feel like we're, we're all at home tonight, and you probably all can think of some examples of how authority is being eroded in our society. Add to that the fact that our humanity does not like submission, all right? We don't naturally like to submit to authority. It's just not part of our DNA, you add those two things together, and this can be a tough hill to climb, but it is vitally important that we understand we must submit to God's authority in our life in order for God to lead us where we want to be. The other day, I went to pastor, and I, I had this great idea, something God's been talking to me about, and just this, this calling, and this thing I want to do, and... Um, He just kind of nodded and real nonchalantly, like in quite counterpoint to how I was feeling, just said, well, just wait. Yeah, when God opens the door, you'll know it. And then he changed the subject. And I'm like, man, you know, I'm like, what I thought was is that he would prophesy and say, thus saith the Lord through Pastor Murphy, thou art in the divine will of God and thou shalt go forth and conquer and do these wonderful exploits and pull down strongholds.'" Hallelujah. Glory to God. But if pastor tells you to sit down, you sit down. If he tells you to do such and such a thing, you do it. And you do it with the right attitude and the right spirit because God watches for those things. He's looking to see what your attitude is in relationship to the man of God in your life. I heard about a guy that went to his pastor one time and said, Pastor, the answer is yes. Now, what's the question? Now, that may be a little bit, over the top and maybe he was just a little bit gung-ho but it does get to the point and to the heart of the attitude that I'm talking about that God looks for and David mastered this he said if God has set somebody in authority over me and if he's God's anointed I will not mess with it I will not touch it that is God's business that's God's man and I will submit myself to that and let God work out the rest that is Bible So solitude, stewardship, and submission, the keys to engaging the word of God or the process of God in our life. And so here's the punchline. Here's what I want to give you. And I talked a little bit about this a few weeks ago in my sermon, but I know none of you remember it. um, So I'm going to remind you anyway. Uh, But here's what's so awesome to me. So David spends all of this time, right, 15 years at least, 15 years just being chased by Saul, running for his life. He knows he's got a promise. He knows he's got a destiny. And I can't imagine how many days did David wake up and say, God, today does not look like your promise in my life. Today looks like running for men that are trying to kill me. Today looks like looking out at these 600 crazy men that you've given me to lead that don't have enough to eat they're wild and most of them are convicts and i can't trust any of them most of it didn't look like god's promise at work in his life at all right but david was faithful to it and here's what blows me away is that one day after all of those days of waking up one day david woke up and it was his day saul dies on the battlefield the next in line on the to the throne dies on the battlefield and guess what? David's next. It's his moment. His number's called. God says, before you go to bed tonight, you're going to be king of Israel. My promise, my process will be complete in your life, at least as it regards to, the, to being called to be the king of Israel. Just in one day, in one moment, out of nowhere, seemingly, God did this. And that's why David wrote in Psalm 37, verse 34 Wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Right? Don't try to get ahead of him, keep his way. And he shall exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, you shall see it. David lived that. He knew that. He could write that because he knew it to be true. So if you'll stand with me, stand with me, stand with me. I see all of our baptismal witnesses are gathering in the foyer and and I'm definitely ready to baptize baby girl. So let me just tell you this. If you will trust God by waiting for his timing, keeping the faith, one day you're going to look up and say, you know what, I was there, I was over here, but now look where God has brought me. The door was shut, but now it's open. I may not be everything I want to be, but I'm something. God's working in my life. Your gifts, your callings, your plans, it will all come to pass if we will lean into the process God has in our life. And everybody say, amen. Let Jesus, we're just so thankful for your presence that's here. Thank you for your word. God, we could never plumb the depths of your word. We could never exhaust the magnificence of your word. But Lord, we've tried tonight just to, to, to grasp a little bit of truth and just take something home with us that might bring us encouragement for tomorrow, might give us encouragement for the hard times because yes, you're leading our church and yes, you're leading every person in this building to a destiny and we're committed to the process. Good or bad, sink or swim, we're committed to it in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. 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 Clap your hands to the Lord. Let's let him know we're here. (laughs) Thank God. Thank God. Thank God. Hey, we love y'all so much. Y'all mean the church. Y'all just mean so much to us. If you can stay just another five or ten minutes, we'd love for you to see Elena get baptized. It's going to take just a minute. I'm going to go put the waiters on. Uh, I believe Brother Chris is going to Uh, unveil the baptistry behind me by getting that ready. So we just need a a little bit of transition time. But if y'all just hang out, maybe greet a couple people, Q8. Now, I came up, let me just tell you, before you do that, I came up with a little saying, you ready? Let me see if I can get it. Before you evacuate, don't hesitate to Q8. So there you go. All right, God bless you in Jesus' name.